PR is still, I think it's human relationship interest. Nothing happens if there's no interest on the other side with PR, right? It's got to be earned. And then mailers, just because you use a digital printer to print the mail doesn't mean it's digital marketing. I've talked to print guys, they're like, yeah, this is digital marketing. You're using a digital printer to put it on paper and mail it to somebody. I don't know if that's digital marketing. You're listening to the Let's Talk Marketing Podcast hosted by me, Katya Allison. It's going to be a good time, great conversation, and there's going to be a little bit of learning along the way. Through insightful interviews with top marketers, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders, I get to explore the latest trends, techniques, and strategies in the world of marketing. I'm here to offer you engaging and informative discussions to help you, one, stay up to date on the latest trends, and two, take your marketing skills to the next level. Now, in today's episode, we are covering digital marketing with Shilish. He is a conference speaker, podcaster, and co-owner of New Wine Digital, a digital marketing agency offering a wide range of services for businesses. With an MBA in marketing and entrepreneurship from the University of Wisconsin-Madison, he's passionate about educating business owners on the power of digital marketing and AI, speaking at conferences nationwide, and today he's chatting with us. So let's get started. Let's talk marketing with Shilish. Silish, welcome to the Let's Talk Marketing podcast. Super excited to have you on here. A little nervous at not practicing the pronunciation of your name before I said it, but welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. I have a special offer for your listeners, though. Go for it. You get 50 tries on my name. So you don't, and I don't keep score. So it's a special exclusive offer just for your listeners. Super, super exclusive. I have a feeling people are going to get FOMO. They're going to have to take action. They have to act on it. Exactly. I'm going to get a bunch of like audio messages on LinkedIn with yeah. different pronunciations. Did I get it right? Did I get it right? So yeah. <laughs> Is that it? Is that it? <laughs> well, I love it. I'd love for the audience to get to know you a little bit. So I always start off with some basic questions. They're not rapid fire because I tend to dive into them a little bit, but I'd love to know what your kind of first role in marketing was and then your current role. So let's start off with what you would classify as marketing. This is always a fun one to hear what people classify as marketing as well. First of all, thank you very much for having me on the show. I'm, I'm really excited to be on here. It's been great to... The a couple of times we've chatted, I've just really enjoyed our conversation. What is marketing? I come across a lot of definitions, like you said, but my the way oh, I... Oh, but your first marketing role. Well, my first what marketing role. What was your role. first marketing role? Yes. My first marketing role was, as my older daughter used likes to say, in the 1900s. So it was in the, it was in the, it was in the late 1900s. And I was an applications engineer for an engineering company. And believe it or not, that was a marketing position. I worked in a marketing role, interfacing with customers and helping them with their applications of what they were working on. And I worked on creating what I would call now case studies. So I wrote case studies. I wrote help write manuals. I did testing and I did a lot of sales support. So helping the sales guys close the deal and then maybe the after the sales was closed, I would go in and help with the implementation of the service, the product that they bought. So that was my first real role in marketing, even though my title said applications engineer. Do you know what I mean? So Yeah, this is why I like asking the question because I think anybody who's listening who's somewhere in their marketing career, I think it's important to hear how people get started because there's usually not a straight line. 
right? I think there are a lot of people who will get their MBA in marketing and be like, all right, excellent. I am a marketer. But listen, you just said applications engineer. I have literally never heard anybody with that falling under marketing, but it completely makes sense, especially how you're describing it. Tell us now, that's where you started. Where are you at? What is your current role? Now I own a marketing agency. So my wife and I have owned it for 12 years now. And so primarily digital marketing. So I know that's a big term as well. And so right now my role is basically helping build the agency and also working with, with our clients. So I do a lot of the marketing strategy for our clients. And then I work with my team to do the implementation. So that's my role right now. Okay. Now, what do you like or love about what you do? But tell me the good and the bad. I also want to know if you could pluck anything out, if you could pluck anything out of what you're doing on a day-to-day basis, what would that be? Let's start off with the positive. What do you like or love about what you currently do? Kind of going back to my roots, the engineering roots of, so to speak, I love solving problems. So for me, it's somebody comes to me, a prospect comes to me and says, you know what? We've been doing X, Y, Z. We've worked with an ABC company. We're trying to reach this audience and we're trying to fix this trying to get this marketing going. I, I love that kind of challenge. I'm like, okay, we can do this. We can figure this out. My engineering brain comes on. It's like, I know what the input variables are. I know what the output should be. I know what the trajectory should be like. I know what the goals are. Let's do this. And so we put this plan together and things like that. Right now, where I, now that's the positive. Now you also asked for the negative, right? On the negative, I got to be careful how I say it, right? But it's the, I guess it's the expectations. I think that people carry Maybe there's expectations, maybe rightly or wrongly, in terms of what they can achieve. A lot of times I encounter people that come to me, they have, what is a good, uh, they think they can get a BMW out of that budget, but really, at the end of the day, you're getting a Hyundai. So that's, mismatch expectations is the hardest part of my job. I find it the most difficult. It's like, they feel like their budget, uh, maybe it is a big budget for them, maybe for their particular client, for that particular company, it is a big budget. But in terms of what you're trying to do and accomplish, it really doesn't, it really doesn't do much. And so how do you communicate that? And how do you not be, not sound condescending when you say it? And how do you kind of, and also not like a sales guy, right? It's, I'm not trying to oversell you on anything. It's just that after doing this for a long time, you get a sense for, okay, you know what? If you really want to accomplish this, you're going to need to spend about this much money into this. You know what I mean? So I have those kind of things built in based on what I've done over the last 15, 20 years. I think your engineering background also could probably help with that as well, too, because I think that to me, it's a mathematical equation of trying to be able to manage expectations. You know, I at one point was managing an agency as well, too, and it was always broken down. I measured hours, right? Hours and like what the cost per hour to be able to achieve this. And I think it can be really tough. I love the way that you articulated it, though, especially using a car analogy that I can understand because it is very true. I think it's more, you definitely need to pay more than you think, but throwing money at it isn't always the solution either as well too. Like I always feel like email marketing, if they have someone that can write and they can think through really good drip campaign, that's money that you don't have to spend with an agency, but an agency can take a lot of the data from 
those findings to maybe be more strategic about things. Even on the hard cost, advertising cost in general, like Google ad, some of our clients have seen a three times, four times increase in cost per click just in the last 12 months, but they've kept the budget the same, right? So now instead of getting 30 clicks a month, they might be getting 12 clicks a month because it's the cost is that much higher, right? When you go and talk, tell a client that they're like, are you trying to get more money out of me? It's like, no, this is the reality. Google's trying to get more money out of you, not me. (laughs) Let's blame it on Google. Yeah. No, we won't completely blame it on Google. I understand that. I also am obsessed with what you said about what you love about it. Cause I do think it is a problem solving. It is problem solving at its best. There's a little bit of science in it as well too. Like what can we do? And not everything that you do, you're going to hit it out of the park, but it's, I always tell my team, it's the data that we get back from these efforts. So always be able to measure what your ultimate goal is or what you're defining success for that tactic. And then Let's see what we do with that. So I love both of those answers. It's fantastic. Now, we are both in marketing. So I'm curious, do you turn to social media specifically? What I'm talking about is like a Facebook, a LinkedIn, a Twitter, maybe even Pinterest. But do you turn to social media networks for any kind of inspiration, education, or entertainment? And if so, which networks? For me personally? I have found, believe it or not, I have found LinkedIn to be extremely valuable over the last, I don't know what they've done to their algorithm, or maybe people are engaged in it more, but I have taken classes on LinkedIn. I took a AI certification class last summer on LinkedIn. I watched their learning videos. Sometimes they're giving it away for free. You do need to be a member for LinkedIn learning, I think, to get some of those things. But every once in a while, you'll get a series for free. And so, and those videos are usually not very long. They're maybe five or six minutes, but I can't tell you how much I've learned by just watching maybe a series. I just watched a series on AI applications last week, certification, things like that. And that's been a very powerful source for me. The other one is Twitter. I have curated some lists for myself, just thought leaders like Neil Patel, some of these guys. I have a little curated list I use. I'm not on Twitter to argue with anybody or say, I'm just there to learn. So I go on there and I look at the list and a lot of these guys will post some very valuable links on there. Like I learned a lot about podcasting that way when I started the podcast. And then of course, YouTube. YouTube is a great source for learning. I go on there. I've got some channels that I subscribe to and I just watch videos. I feel YouTube is a little bit more, you know, you got to sit in front of a, 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 bit, a computer to watch it. But, but then I also subscribe to their podcasts in audio format as well, and I listen to it. Mostly, I would say not necessarily career-wise, but in terms of some of the topics of human psychology, things that are more stuff that I didn't go to school for, that I don't know anything about, psychology, consumer behavior, those kinds of things. I've learned a lot from just podcasts. Isn't that, isn't that wild? That was going to be just my next question is how do you stay up to date on trends? So it sounds like you're clearly using social media from an education standpoint. And it sounds like podcasts are a way that you're also staying up to date with trends. Is there anything else that you do? Is there a channel? Is there a specific podcast? Is it, I don't know, do you subscribe to a newsletter? Like, How else are you staying up to date on trends? Because to your point, being able to listen to things that you didn't go to school with, not to school with, to school for, I think is really helpful. But even if you went to school in it, like I'm like my degrees in in public relations and communications, 
there are fax machines referenced in my textbooks. Do you know what I mean? And that's not the way the world lives works now. And I think especially in marketing. Are you saying that my degree from the 1900s is useless? Is that what you're trying? I'm just saying now they have pen and paper. It's no longer shizzling on a rock, you know? I will tell you something. Last week, I got a request from a CPA from one of the partners we work with. And he asked for a particular document from me. And so I generated a expiring link. I use OneDrive and OneDrive has this expiring link feature. But when you share a file, you don't have, it's not in their inbox permanently. It's an expiring link. So I sent it to him. I said, I give you the seven day. It'll expire in seven days. Please download it. He said, the link didn't work. Here's my fax number. And I'm like, where am I going to go get a fax? <laughs> I know. Then you really start to think, how would I fax this over? And then so I thought, I thought, okay, is there a way to fax this from a PDF? So I went and looked and there are services that allow you to do that, but you got to pay him the link. So I got him to use the link and he got it fine. No problem. But all that to say, things are changing. And what we learned is very much from a while back. I wouldn't say that there is a particular one source that I go to. I think that what I've done is I have just basically, I just follow people that I admire. There's some SEO people that I follow, like Neil Patel and some of these other guys. There is a WordStream, which is a website that has a lot of stuff on digital marketing. There's the SEO journal. And then our own, we have a subscription to SEM Rush. And so SEM Rush has a section where you could go through and learn. And then I also find HubSpot to be very, you know, HubSpot's content to be very useful as well. So between those, I feel like I've clicked on enough of those that anytime I go to any social network, their algorithm knows what I'm looking for and gives me some, they know enough of what I click on. You know, if I do a Google search, it's always, you might also like, you know, so I get all these, all these articles. This is how to hack into algorithms to make them work for you instead of feeling like they're always spying on you. I do that all the time from like a social media perspective as well, too. I also know that like when I'm going to a website, it is going to recommend all of a sudden I'm going to see it on my feed. It's going to give me more information. So I make those algorithms work for myself as well, too. And then there is one guy, I don't know his name, but this guy's on Instagram. I'm sure he's on TikTok, but he says websites you should know about, but sound illegal to know. So he shares these tips on different websites you should know about. And I found his content, he 30 second videos, very helpful. So I've got Sometimes a, it's just the digestible information, right? Like I need a quick insight to be able to know I want to dive a little deeper in. Yeah. Yeah. I like some of those video editing tools, things like that. These mm -hmm. guys on social media are sharing those constantly. And so I bookmarked a couple of those guys and I just go to their page and I browse through to see what I can find. And I find them. It's cool. Yeah. I actually do that as well, too. I love the kind of, I call them hot tips in 30 seconds. I name my own things, those things, but like just little really quick hot tips on things like an Excel file. I always love like quick tips on Excel, even a Word document, Canva. I save all of those. I'm like, ooh, this is really cool. It's going to really make it look like I'm a designer. I always trying to people that fool people into thinking that I can design some things. Listen, I think that this is a really great segue as we're talking about just how quickly things change and how we want to stay up to date to talk about what we wanted to talk about today, which was going to be digital marketing, which I know listeners, it is a really broad topic. So we're going to bring it down to like the nitty gritty. I'd love for you to define digital marketing for our audience. 
or better yet, what is not digital marketing? Either or. Before we came on, I said the reason that I wanted us to talk about this, I think that people are using the term digital marketing and they're throwing it around, but I don't know that we have, when I'm having this conversation with people, that we're on the same page of what we're talking about when we say digital marketing. So tell me how you define this. I did a quick search on YouTube for digital marketing. And a lot of the videos that come up is how to use digital marketing to get rich. And I'm like, wow, I've been doing this for a long time and I have nothing to do. It was all in a 30 second video. <laughs> but I, I think a lot of times you're right. It does seem to be very broad. Obviously, it's going to depend on the context of what you're using, because anytime you use a digital medium to get your message across, that is digital marketing in a way, right? If you're using a digital medium, whether that is a podcast is digital now, YouTube is digital, right? All of these media on a computer or a device, that's not radio or TV, I'm assuming. Although now you can watch TV on a... I think it's kind of weird how that definition goes. But the traditional, at least the way I think of it is, if you're trying to use search, if you're trying to use social media, you're trying to do affiliate marketing, or you're trying to do email, I don't know if text would fall into that, maybe it would. If you're using those type of platforms, that's my world of digital marketing. My world of digital marketing is SEO, SEM, website design, development, email marketing. That's my world of digital marketing. But I know affiliate marketing is considered digital marketing as well. PR is like SEO in so many ways. You're putting out content to get links back. So I think there's a little gray line there. And then podcasting could be digital as well because you're listening to it on the phone. So yeah, I think there's, for me, there's a inner area for myself. Maybe it's different for people. And then anything outside of that is on the peripheral for me. Well, what is not digital marketing is obviously a billboard is not digital marketing, in my opinion. I mean, PR is still, I think it's human relationship interest. Nothing happens if there's no interest on the other side with PR, right? It's got to be earned. And then mailers, just because you use a digital printer to print the mail doesn't mean it's digital marketing. I've talked to print guys. They're like, yeah, this is digital marketing. You're using a digital printer to put it on paper and mail it to somebody. I don't know if that's digital marketing. I'll have one over for you on that one. So you may use the digital printer, which that's very loose, right? To send that mailer. But what that mailer has a QR code that sends you to a website link, right? So I think at this point, the lines are all crossed everywhere as to what specifically is digital marketing and what is not. What do you think, though, even with that kind of broad definition of it, is some of the most effective digital marketing tactics that you have seen across just your business that you're either telling clients like, hey, you need to be doing this at the very least, because this is something that always works. I've worked with both B2C and B2C companies, so I'll give you the answers for both of those categories, right? So if you are a B2C company and you have, you're trying to reach consumers and you're selling a consumer product, I mean, it doesn't have to be just stuff that you get at grocery stores, but like even home services or stuff that is people can call you, contact you and get stuff like that, right? For those type of businesses, SEO and PPC are hands down the most effective mechanisms for getting clients. There's no other way around. I mean, everybody, B2C if you're not doing SEO and you don't have a PPC campaign going to get some kind of a return, it's hard to make everything else work otherwise. So I think those two are really effective for B2C. 
Now, on the B2B side, depending on the type of maybe audience you're looking for, I think the SEO side still works really well for you. You just have to be very creative about the way in which you work it. But email marketing on the B2B side for the clients we've worked with has worked really well as well. EPC, the pay-per-click, is hit or miss in terms of B2B. I've had a lot of misses myself in terms of the client was actually wanting it more than me. And I've already said it's not going to work, but they're giving me money and commission to do it. So I'm like, okay, you really want me to try it? I'll do it. But it has been hit or miss. But in terms of generating awareness and trying to get your word out, it does have limited value for a B2B company. But in terms of direct results, I would say B2B, SEO, and email marketing would be the two that, and what I've worked on, that's where the biggest bang for your buck is coming. I love that you said that because as, like from a B, let's just focus on the B2B one first, right? So if we're looking at, you said SEO and email marketing, right? What I love so much about both of these is you actually, if you have an in-house writer, these are things that you can actually do on your own without an agency. Not that I'm trying to tell people not to get an agency, but like when you look at your overall marketing budget, these are things that you should be doing regardless of budget and regardless of agency. You should be looking at SEO and email marketing. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but I think especially from an SEO perspective, because SEO is not something that happens overnight. It is something that you have to build. And if you wait on it, the ramp is still going to be there, right? Like to me, that's a distance from where you want to, where you're starting, where you want to be. Starting it later just means that you get started on it later. So you don't necessarily have a leg up, but I'd love to hear your thoughts in regards to like the importance of SEO. Yeah, no, one thing for the SEO, you're correct. You have your writers in-house. It actually works better for a company to use internal resources because as an agency, because I'm an agency, it's difficult to really fully understand your company and your positioning and your customers like the way you do. So if you have, because we know the nitty gritty of the technicalities of SEO, right? What's going to get that content piece on search is what we know. What you know is how do I communicate our value proposition and our unique selling proposition to our audience? That's what you know, right? So you, you put those two together, that's where the winning combination happens. We do have some B2B companies where we have spent, I think, been like a year or so where we've been writing content for them and we've been getting them placed on the right search terms. And they're seeing a ramp up in terms of the traffic pattern. Traffic is coming to their site. And they're also getting results because we always measure as well. Like you measure the amount of people calling or inquiries, engagements, things like that. Uh, where the email side comes in is now you have all this library of content that you've built, right? So let's face it. Your customer hasn't read every single one of them, Right. And right, as long as we, as much. I feel like you need to say that again, because oftentimes people hesitate. They're like, no, I've already either posted that blog or I've done this. But like to imagine that everybody's looked at your content the moment you clicked publish. Exactly. I mean, that would be the dream, but it's also not the reality. You could show them five times. I had this conversation with the client and it was a very awkward conversation, needlessly so. Because our thing was, hey, we published, I think we wrote four blog posts or content pieces a month for this client for almost two years. So you're looking at a lot of content, right? Which is very well ranked. They're getting traffic. It's working for them. So then what we said is let's take that content and package it into email articles 
or email newsletters. Let's send it every two weeks as a way to reach the people that your salespeople are talking to. So your salespeople might be getting email addresses in your CRM system. You might have 150 email addresses just in the last couple of months, depending on your business, right? He had about 150. And getting that content out to this audience now that the salesperson has already talked to is that much more powerful, right? Now they have that piece. They can reference it. I save people. I don't know how everybody uses it, but maybe it's because I'm in the business. But sometimes I have subscribed to different consulting companies and I've subscribed to their email newsletters and I get it and I save it because they have a lot of valuable information in that email. And sales coaches, business coaches, all these guys, I save their email newsletters. And I keep it because I find it useful. I don't know if people do that or if I'm an anomaly, but I search it, I find it. I'll sometimes call. I will say you and I then both are anomalies because I probably subscribe to way too many things. I think, you know, for a couple of reasons, one, to keep up to date on things, but two, also from an inspiration standpoint as well, too. There are a lot of people out there doing so many amazing things from a marketing perspective. And I think like the more, this is also why I have the podcast, right? So that we can have these conversations and it sparks something for people. Like I want people to be inspired by you saying, oh, I should put my blogs in a newsletter. They're already there. And I'll even one up it. You should share those blogs on social media exactly. at least five different ways. Yeah. Like that you can share that five different ways at five different times. And I'm not talking about like back to back to back, but I don't know. Experiment. Maybe back to back is something helpful. We're trying to recycle to save the planet and we don't seem to recycle our own marketing materials. <laughs> I'm not saying you know what? exactly. There's such a push for net new content. New content You're like, but you just have to reimagine how you can amplify the existing content that you have if you already have existing content. I think that's where I get super amped up. I think I last Friday I was going into the company that I work for, all of our old content, and I'm like, this stuff is really great. Like literally all we have to do is adjust this, update this part, get a more recent stat on it, and we have a new white paper, for example, or a new video or with such minor tweaks. Yeah. I worked in a healthcare client. It was a healthcare client and they said they had no content. And I was like, what are you talking about? And you look at your website and they said, yeah, but those are pieces of things we wrote in 2012, 2013. I'm like, so have a new healthcare person go through it, make sure it's up to date. Let's just republish those things, man. It's not like Somebody read it in 2013 and said, oh, yeah, look, they published it again. (laughs) People are digging out. No, this is a repeat. Yeah, and I think that's a big thing is you have to refresh the content, right? Because not everything is the same. God forbid you repost something that has like a fax machine referenced in it, right? Like do your due diligence when you're reposting. In this case, it was medical. So you do want to make sure that things haven't changed. You know what I mean? There was a little bit of that. But you do want to write content that is evergreen, but also content that, is, that can be refreshed from time to time so you can feed it back to the algorithm. And honestly, a little secret here, this is a real discount, by the way, a coupon. For I, your love audience, I love it. I love it. One thing that we do is on Google Search Console, we look at your old blog posts that you've written maybe three, four years ago, and we look at the performance of it. And then we try to see if there's a way to retweak it re-update it, add some new content, feedback to it, and republishing. Google loves it. Google loves articles that has been around for a while, has decent traffic, and is now updated with new information. 
We've been able to get those on the Google snippet question and answer session just by doing that. It's such a good hack. Now it's really good content. It's been around for a while. People have already found it valuable. And now you just updated it with more relevant information. How cool is that? Yeah. So. No. Oh my gosh. I'm, you are dropping knowledge bombs, as I like to say. They are definitely knowledge bombs. Now, is there anything, though, that you think from a digital marketing perspective that either companies you engage with or s- stuff that you see in general that people are, quote unquote, missing the boat on? Is it SEO and email marketing? Or is there something else that like people just aren't doing enough of based on your opinion? My opinion is one thing. I mean, this is not necessarily my opinion, but I think I'm being converted into this view by Neil Patel. Neil has been talking about how companies are not taking advantage of podcasts. He has this big stat. I think it was in December. He published these big stats on how many companies have blogs, how many companies put out written content and things like that. And he compared that to the number of podcasts that are available. It's like 100. There's that few podcasts, right? I think, like I said, I am feeling like maybe I'm in this that I feel like maybe it is something that people are missing, but it's hard to tell because it goes so much by industry and the type of business you're in. I don't know that a flower shop is going to need to create a podcast, right? To get more clients. But if you're a B2B company and you have special, you sell a very specialized content, you know, machinery, and you need to educate your purchase manager on the product, maybe having a podcast. I think people think podcast, they think Joe Rogan, right? Three hours of conversation every day. Well, and also... Joe Rogan's what, the grandfather and the king right now of podcasts just in general. And I think if we're all aspiring to be Joe, there's just no two Joe Rogans. There's no two Joe Rogans. And that's funny because I talked to a a friend of mine in the industry in the last year and I said, hey, I started my podcast and you want to be on it? And he's, I think there's enough Joe Rogans of the world out there. And I'm like, come on, man, we're not trying to, we're not trying to do anything here. So he turned me down, but it's okay. It's okay. It's (laughs) It's okay. okay. But I think there could be an opportunity. I think the production costs are low enough nowadays. The editing cost is pretty manageable for a company. So I think if you were a B2B company and your sales process is very, let's say, very long and people need to be educated, updated, and convinced of it, maybe having a podcast that talks about applications, talks about how to use your product, the benefits of your product, and maybe interviewing some people that work on the product. I think that could be a useful strategy, I think. Uh, Again, I haven't tried it. Just something that I read in December and in January from Neil Patel. And it's something that's been in the back of my mind in terms of how do I get this to my clients and how do I make this work for us? Now, I would definitely agree. And maybe it's also because I just finished recording a podcast about podcasts and the benefits to businesses. But I do think it's also what you do with the content. In the same, if you think of a podcast almost just like a verbal blog, like if you put it in that category, right? Now all of a sudden you take whatever you just finished talking about in regards to how to repurpose the blog in your email newsletter and you take that with your podcast, you do the same thing, except now you have an audio. And if you have audio video, now you've got these snippets that you can put on like a reel, on a TikTok, on a LinkedIn video. It, it is really about repurposing the content that you are creating. And I think to your point too, it, it is pretty minimal cost, but what you can do with the content that's generated from it, right? And the amplification it can bring to your brand, I think is huge. I actually really that as a miss the boat 
on that. We won't tell anybody. I'm not going to say I thought of it myself. (laughs) It was on Neil Patel's Twitter in December. And that's where it's been something that's been top of mind for me. No, that completely makes sense. And and then I'd also even double click on the, the flower shop example that you said, right? Like maybe a flower shop doesn't necessarily need a podcast, but maybe the podcast isn't about flowers. Maybe the podcast is about like, the meaning of certain things, right? Or just a day in the life. Like I always feel like from a podcast perspective, you can't just be a good conversationalist. That's a huge part of it. But also you have to think broadly, like what would be attractive? What would you want to talk about? Is it like roses and tulips and the meaning of those flowers? Or is it like all the reasons that you would send flowers? That opens up like a whole other stories that people can tell. And now all of a sudden, it's a human interest podcast. So I'm very clearly passionate about it. I am just struck by how easy, relatively speaking, it is to produce a quality podcast. For me, I've been doing this for a long time, so I can talk about different topics in depth. Well, the content production side has never been the problem for me. The issue was always I was intimidated by the editing and the recording and the distribution and all that kind of stuff. And There are so many tools out there that are just, that make it so easy and they're so affordable. It's just amazing. I'm going to give a big shout out to Zencaster, which is exactly what we're recording on, that makes all of the production part so much easier for you as well, too. I could talk to you for a much longer time than we have. And I know I have additional questions, but I'm going to give you one final question. If you knew then what you know now, what's the marketing advice that you give to yourself? Just for myself or just for companies in general? No, for yourself. I want to know from you. If I, how far back are are you going to the 1900s? The 1900s. Well, I always think this is interesting as well, too. Where does your mind go when someone says that? If you knew then what you know now, what's that advice that you give to yourself? Marketing, I would say affiliate marketing. I think there was a huge affiliate marketing boom that happened in the early 2000s when there were so few players and there are some people that made some really big impacts on that. I think that if I were to go back with the knowledge I have, I would do, if I could have a time machine, take my knowledge, go back to 2001, I would do affiliate marketing for five years and retire. <laughs> That's all it takes. That's Nowadays, there's so many people out there like saying, hey, this is how you can quit your nine to five and just do this, which is still a ton of work. Like affiliate marketing is no joke. It is no joke. It feeds into influencer marketing, which again, no joke. All of these things are incredibly time consuming. But I love that you said that though, because it is true. If you got there at the beginning, you would really, you're crushing it at the end. You're crushing right? it. Especially with Google AdWords coming out in the early days of Google AdWords using affiliate marketing, driving traffic, keywords were cheap, buy cheap email keywords, push them to all these e-commerce places and get commissions on those sales. Man, what a way. I'm sure there's something somewhere that they retired. <laughs> exactly. and they may that. or may not be listening to the podcast. Yeah, well, they, they probably Who knows? are. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to keep my fingers crossed. Thank you so much for coming on here, sharing all of your knowledge. I think our listeners definitely walked away with some insights today, especially those tidbits that you dropped in the middle. But thank you so much. Thank you, Katya. It was really wonderful to be on your podcast. Really appreciate it. Now, I bet you were a little worried at first because digital marketing is such a broad topic, but I'm really glad that we kind of got into some of the nuts and bolts of it. Now, here are my key takeaways for you. Key takeaway number one. 
digital marketing is not just about the digital mediums. Now, what I mean by that is it's not just something to check off because you've used a digital medium as part of your strategy. It's also about understanding the context in which these mediums are being used. Now, we went through a few examples. Out of home is probably the most obvious of not being digital marketing at first glance. But then you leverage a QR code that takes you to a landing page for your website. Now it turns into digital. Now the two are not mutually exclusive and need to be evaluated based on the audience's experience. So it's always going to be this combination of what you're doing, kind of like old school, right? Guerrilla marketing to how you can tie it back to digital. Key takeaway number two. I love this one also. Podcasts are underused in business. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a podcast host. But so while we didn't outright say that they're underused in business, what we did touch on was the use of podcasts for business as a digital marketing tactic. I also personally view podcasts as content marketing as well. We chatted about the use of a podcast being effective for a long sales process. Now, the advantage is that with a podcast, well, as long as you're consistent, provide a valuable stop for those who want to learn more or gain some other insights you would share in an interview or a podcast conversation. Similar to an email drip campaign, it kind of keeps your audience on what I like to call simmer and always adding value to their day. Again, though, you have to be consistent with your podcast. Even if it's, we're going to do it once a month, make sure that you're doing it once a month so that your audience comes back to that and leverage other digital marketing tactics to promote it as well too. Last key takeaway is SEO and repurposing content can really bring you great results. Now, both tactics bring you organic leads while also giving you the opportunity to put some money behind them. For example, for SEO, it's all about leveraging PPC to fast track some of those gains that you're trying to see because SEO is a bit of the long game, right? Now for content marketing, it's putting together social ads to promote that content. Both of these are just examples, but what you really don't want to miss the boat on is getting both of those started earlier rather than later. And what I mean by that, when I say both of those started, I'm talking about SEO and content marketing. Sure, you can put some dollars behind it, but the really, the the stickiness of both of those tactics has to be kind of a long-term strategy. They both take time to develop and reap the rewards, but they are also both invaluable. Now, what were some of your insights you walked away with? I want to hear from you. Send me a message on LinkedIn. Or better yet, write it in a review. I love me some of those Apple Podcast reviews. A special thank you to my podcast producers, the amazing team and content allies. Thank you for spending your time with me today. Until next time, may the conversation flow, the laughter linger, and the outlook remain optimistic, but grounded in reality. This is Katya signing off.